This morning we're talking about, uh, again, that phrase, I am, and we've talked about we're forgiven, we're chosen, we're called, and this morning we're talking about being victorious. Now, victorious is not uh, a feeling per se. I know we can feel victorious, but victory at times comes by faith, not just by feeling, okay? Okay? Don't, don't miss that part. Victory many times comes by faith, not by feeling. Go all the way back to the beginning of what faith is. When they said that Abraham was our father of faith, he pro- God promised him he would be the father of many nations, and yet he died having only one son of promise. Right? And yet here we sit today, many nations. But he had to walk that out, and he had to do it by faith because he couldn't see it. And God had to give him a picture of this. He said, you want to know what this is going to look like? Because you don't see it right now. Look at the stars in the sky. Now, it's easy when you live in the desert. There's no external light. You look up, and wow, that must have been amazing. And he said, and if that's not enough, look at the sand. Each of those little granules of sand will be like your people. And that must have inspired him, but he still didn't see. He still had a barren wife. He still hadn't had a son yet in the midst of that promise. And so he had to go by faith to believe he was going to be victorious through this. And we're going to see that this story that we're going to read this morning is is a little bit unusual because maybe it's going to challenge some of your theological ideas, but here's what I want you to understand. We spend way too much time trying to make sure that we're victorious and we feel victorious, but we have to believe that we are victorious in Christ. Because of what He did, we're victorious. And no matter how many accolades, no matter how many awards, no matter how many scholarships, no matter how much education you got without Christ, when the time comes, you will not be victorious. And it doesn't matter how many pictures lie on the wall. It doesn't matter how many earthly things you can hold up saying, oh, remember this and remember this. And The reality is our victory is found in Jesus Christ. And so I want to remind us of a few things that he has done for us before we launch into this story. So, so here we go. How are we victorious in Christ? That's a great question. But by his death and resurrection, again, the resurrection is the important part. Lots of people died. But He is the one that is resurrected. And because of that resurrection, we have victory over our sin, right? Now, are we still dealing with sin? Yes. But because He has taken care of it, no matter how you feel, we still have victory over it. He's conquered it. How about our war with God? The Bible very clearly tells us throughout Romans that we are enmity or we have war with God because the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, and God cannot agree. And, but because of that, he said that we can have our mind transformed and we can stop the war with God not because of us, but because of what Jesus Christ did. He said he broke down the wall between us. He conquered it. He says that he's overcome the world for us. In this world, you will have problems, but I have overcome the world. And because he overcame the world, then we don't have to fight the world, do we? We're victorious. Now, that's the problem. When we get off focus, we start fighting the world, or we start fighting people, and he's already conquered that. Our problem is not flesh and blood. He talks about this. He has overcome the world. He has overcome the devil. You don't have to be afraid of him. The problem that most people are having is they don't even believe in him. 
But there is a devil. But understand that he's defeated already. He was defeated because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And if he can't affect Christ, then he can't affect us. Now, he can try, and it doesn't mean he doesn't meddle. But at the same time, we have to act by faith. I spend very little time worrying about the devil. I spend a lot more time worrying if I'm doing what Christ has called me to do. There's way too many people worried about what the devil has done, what he did, what he's doing here, there, what he's doing, or blaming him for all the mess in their lives. But the biggest problem you've got is the person you look at in the mirror. That's the problem you've got to worry about, not the devil. He can only be in one place at one time. And I don't have enough ego to believe that, he's, that I'm so important he's spending a lot of time on me. Maybe you're more important than he's spending a lot of time on you. But most of the problems we're having in our world is by our own design. But he has defeated the power of the enemy. It also says that we have defeated principalities and power. It said that when he descended into the abyss after his crucifixion, he took principalities and powers captive. He made an open showing of them saying, I reign supreme. You thought that you had rulership. You thought you had power, but I've got the power. And there's this lovely passage, and, and we sing about it. Anybody remember the song, His Train Fills the Temple? Those of you that are older, you probably remember that. Or you think, oh God, it's been a long time since we sang that. Uh, I love you enough, I'm not going to sing it. Okay? But the beauty of that song is the imagery, if you understand this, is that as kings would conquer other kingdoms, they would cut off the king's robe removing his authority, and they would take a piece of that robe and sew it onto their robe so that when a king marched out and you saw all the different colors, all the different lengths of his robe, it showed who he had conquered. It was a living history of all the battles he had won. And then we sing that song that his train fills the temple. He has won every battle. He has not been defeated. And he does that for us. He has defeated death. Death used to have the last say. Now it doesn't. He had defeated the grave. The grave used to be something to be feared because nobody wanted to go there because there's no escape. Now that's not the case. He has been victorious over it. And hell, it was that thing waiting for those of judgment. And yet now, that's been defeated as well. We get to be spared that if you will find yourself in Christ. Those are just some of them. Those are just the big ones, let alone our everyday individual things where he says that you're the head and not the tail. You're an overcomer. You're not to be defeated. All of these things saying, you've got to remember who you are in me. But I want to take you to this story for a specific reason that I think many of us can relate to. Some of that maybe you're thinking, ah, that principalities and powers, and I don't really know what he's talking about. But this is just talking about some some real-life stuff there. So let me just throw some scripture at you uh, previous to this story so that you get what God does. So Deuteronomy 20, verse 4, it says, The Lord your God is, is going with you. That's important. He will fight for you against your enemies, and He will give you victory. Now look at this. God doesn't need to fight anybody. But we do. There's times where we've got to take ground. There's times where we're in the battle. But it says He's going with us, and He provides that victory. Joshua 10 and 8. He says, of all these people you're seeing out there, don't be afraid of them. 
I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. Now, you may be a skeptic this morning and said, there was a lot of people that stood up to Joshua. Yep, and then they fell. And it's not because somebody won't stand up to you. The problem is, who's going to prevail in the end? All of us are going to face challenges. All of us are going to face obstacles. Every last one of us are going to have a place where we come to, we feel like, I'm not sure I can win. And that's where we need to have a relationship with Christ. He is our overcomer. He is the one that gives us victory. Not our ability, not our heritage, not our strength. Because I'll tell you what. There was a time even as a, as a Christian, even as a pastor, that I thought that somehow some of, of our battles are just about our physicality or even just sheer will. But I'll tell you what, our individual sheer will amounts to squat without Jesus Christ. Because there are things you can be ultra-determined, ultra-positive about. There are things that you think, hey, I just got to muscle up and armor up, and I just got to see this thing through, and you will lose again and again and again because it's based on you, not on Him. Proverbs 21, 31, this is a big one. The horse is prepared for the day of battle. Again, human thinking. You, got, you did all the preparation, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Who's our victory? The Lord. We have to remember that. We should do some preparation. We can't just hang out and expect that we're going to win battles. But the reality is, He's the one that brings the victory. And, and here's a little secret from one person that's been walking in this for a while. Sometimes what we think are losses are actually victories. Because we learn so much and when we came to the end of ourselves, we had to depend on Him. And we thought, oh, I couldn't do it. And I had to turn to the Lord. And you feel bad instead of it being we should have turned to the Lord in the first place. And what you perceived as a loss was actually a great win. And I believe that sometimes the great wins are actual losses because we did it in our own power. We manipulated, we did, we tweaked, we this, we that, and we didn't give room for him, and he didn't get the victory, and we didn't have the victory in him, even though we felt like, hey, I felt good about myself, it's still a loss. But we have to have that perspective. First John 5, 4 says this, every child of God, everyone? Yes, every child of God, what? Defeats this evil world and will achieve the victory through what? Did he say feelings? Did he say daily devotions? Those are all great things. Our faith is what makes us victorious. Faith is what sticks it out when everything else stops. Faith is what gets people through the hardest times. Faith is what builds us back up on the inside when nothing we do seems to work. Faith is what keeps us moving forward with God because he said, if you just have a little faith, I can work with that. Read Matthew sometimes. Faith the size of a mustard seed. And he even goes on to say it's the smallest of all seeds, right? All he needs is a little bit. Why? Because it's not about us. It's just about him. And if we'll have just enough faith to believe that he can work on our behalf, then you've got enough faith to win. That's where the story comes in, and, and it's pretty weird. The, the first 13 verses are a history 
of disobedience. I'm just telling you up front. So this is where it's going to challenge your authority, your, maybe your theology or your thought about God for just a minute. For 13 verses, it gives a listing of all these people, and it says something weird like this. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. They didn't follow the ways of the Lord. They followed the, the alignment of their fathers, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. They did evil generation after generation after generation after generation. And here's what's interesting. God was still for them. Now, does that challenge how you think about the way that God works? It challenged me. I was sharing this with Melissa yesterday. I fully believe that God doesn't honor disobedience. I believe that. But just because He doesn't honor it doesn't mean He's not for me. Just because Israel was in a mess didn't mean He abandons Israel. You see, He is faithful even when we're not. He steps up and is ready to go even when we're not thinking about him. He's still wanting the best for us even when we don't want the best for us. This is the weirdness of God, if I can use that word. But he can say, hey, I can't bless that. But it doesn't mean I've left you. I've promised never to leave you. I've promised never to forsake you. So you may run this whole gamut of being disobedient, 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 walking away, coming back, walking away, coming back, in all kinds of mess. But just because that stuff happens doesn't mean that I've left you. And then we come to this part where we see that the prophet Elisha that took up the mantle from Elijah is now sick with an illness that he's going to die of. Now, this is incredible to me, another tweak on philosophy that you're thinking, here's this powerful man of God that did all these miracles, and yet now he's sick and going to die. Why didn't God just heal him? Because God's thinking big term. (laughs) And Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him. Now, again, remember, Joash is a wicked king. He is not doing what God wants him to do. He's a wicked king, right? He comes down, he weeps over the face of Elijah, and he says, oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen, and he's using a phrase of how Elijah got his start, that Elijah was taken up in the chariot. Now, what we don't understand from this story, unless you read a little bit into the history, is this. The reason that he is there, even though he's disobedient to God, because he's He's not looking, Joash isn't looking to God for his victory. He's looking to Elisha. See, Elisha has been obedient, and Elisha has always stepped out to declare God's word over Israel. Both good and bad. Elisha has always stepped up to say, you're better than this. You've got to overthrow these people. Come back to the Lord. You're going to have this battle. And the Elisha always spoke what God told him to speak. But Joash seemed to follow the ways of his fathers, but he understood that if I can be in the good graces of Elisha, maybe we can work this thing out. And so he goes down and he, and he realizes, if Elisha dies, what's going to happen to our kingdom? Instead of saying, oh God, where are you going to be? He doesn't. He's going to the man. Saying, oh, Elisha. And that's the first point I want to hit. Some of you are looking to men to fight your battles for you. Some of you are looking for somebody else to be victorious for you, and you can't. You can't. People will fail you. People have their own agendas. People have a problem with power. 
We don't know how to handle it. That's why we must keep it in the hands of God. That's why we have a problem with glory. We must keep it in the hands of God. But we crave it. We want it. There's something in us that wants to be like God, but we can't handle it. But many of the problems that you're facing, many of the the problems that people find with church, why they leave church and come back and is they're putting their hope in a person, they're putting their hope in a pastor, they're putting their hope in a leader, they're putting their hope in a, a spouse, they're putting their hope in somebody, and that person let them down. You've got to put your full hope in Jesus Christ. He is the victory. Everybody else, everybody else is just as weak as you. Elisha says to him something interesting. Even at the end, notice what he doesn't say. How dare you come to my house? You've been disobedient. I don't even want to look at you. And maybe you've heard that from religious people. Maybe you've heard that from church people. Oh, hey, you've been straying. I I can't even talk to you. Here we have the man of God that has no problem having a conversation with Joash. I've got a few props this morning just so we can understand this. Look what he says. He says to him, I want you to take a bow and some arrows. And this always represents warfare. This is not practice. This is not hunting. This is not, hey, I think I'll go out and shoot a little bit. And for those of you freaking out, it's not an arrow. Take a bow and some arrows. He grabs them. And this part's important. I believe there's no waste of Scripture. Take a bow and some arrows. And he did what? Took a bow. Notice he was obedient. He he came with the bow and arrows, right? He didn't just manifest them. He actually, my version said, he took himself a bow and some arrows. I have to do it. I have to grab hold of it. I have to be ready to fight. Are you ready to fight this morning? I want to stop right there. Some of us, you think you're walking in faith, but you're walking in sloth. You're walking in laziness because you just want to turn over your whole life to Jesus Christ. I don't have to deal with this. If he wants it to change, he'll just change it. Not only is that fatalistic and flawed, that doesn't work that way. And you say, well, why not? Why do you have a lawnmower? If God didn't want the grass in your yard to grow any bigger, He would just do it. Or maybe He gave us a tool. And we have to take the, Lord, if you want the grass cut, you need to do it. But it doesn't work that way. You see, it absolves us of any type of action. We just sit back and we wait for God to fight all of our battles and to take care of our addictions and to raise up our children and to develop our faith when we have to take hold of it and do it. He's already provided the victory. He's provided the power, but we have a part in this, church. We have to do our part. And that's what he's trying to help Joash understand. You've been walking in disobedience. Are you going to listen to the Lord? Take up a bow. Okay, I'll do that. If you can be obedient to me, you should be obedient to him. And this is a tragic story. I hope that we learn from this this morning. 
And we've got to understand this. And maybe you think that God is peaceful. But even David said in one of the Psalms, I think it's 144, it says, God has trained my hands for war. Now this is the, the shepherd, the poet, the warrior. He didn't start out as a warrior. He started out as the eighth son of Jesse, a shepherd kid. But God trained him to fight, and pretty soon he's cutting off giant heads. And the only way he was able to do that is he trusted God. He hadn't any formal training. He just decided, I'm going to take up the sword. Take up the bow. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, I want you to put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on the bow, and here's what I need you to understand. Elisha, as the human, track with me here, please. Elisha is not Jesus Christ, but he is a foreshadow of God in the flesh. God speaking through the man. Look what he tells him. You take up the bow, and then Elijah did something interesting. He put his hands on the king's hands. I'm with you. You want to know where the strength comes from? My hands on your hands. You want to know how you win the battle? You prepare yourself, and then you put your hands, and I take your hands in my hands. You may not be doing what I want you to do, but I have not forgotten you. If you can learn to be obedient, we can work this out. But I will not leave you. I want you to understand that I'm putting my hands on your hands. And for some of you, it's time for the fight of your life. It's time to fight for your faith. It's time to fight for your family. It's time to fight for your freedom. It's time to fight for your children. It's time to fight the urge to, to lackluster commitment. It's time to fight the urge of cultural relativism. It's time to fight so that you have victory in your life, not just battles. Nobody wants battles. But sometimes you fight so that you don't have to fight the next battle. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And I can only imagine what that meant to him because when prophets touched people, something was about to happen. <laughs> it's one of the lovely parts about Jesus that breaks my heart all the time. There were many religious leaders, but there was also a lot of leprosy and no one would touch them. But Jesus did. He wasn't afraid to catch what they had. Can you imagine being a leper where you're now isolated from your family, from your fellowship? You can't go to church. In fact, when you walk through the streets, you have to walk through pronouncing yourself, saying unclean, unclean, everywhere you go. And here comes Jesus, not a good teacher, not a good man, not a rabbi. God himself steps up and touches the leper. He didn't just extend his hand in that direction. He doesn't just kind of You see, he's not afraid of our humanity. Because when we realize how powerful he is and how good he is, something in us can change. 
He put his hands on the king's hands. And then he said, open the east window. Again, notice he's giving him instructions, seeing if he's going to obey. What is God telling you? Are you doing it? If you're not doing it, it's not God that's the problem. It's you. If you're wondering why your life isn't going the way it's going, maybe you're listening to God but actually not doing what He was doing. Because at any point, He could have said, what are you talking about? What difference does it make if it's the east window? Are you going to help us or not? Open the east window. He opened it. And Elisha says, shoot. And he shot. And he was showing him something. Because it wasn't about the bows and the arrows. He was showing him something. Just like I hope you get this morning. It's not about me standing up here with a piece of wood and a bow. I'm trying to show you something. So he shot. He said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. Look at This represents what God wants to do for you. Okay? Now what are you facing today? This represents what God wants to do for you today. Will you be obedient to do what He asked you to do? Do you actually want victory? Or do you want somebody else to do it for you? You must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. You want to know why we continue to have the problems we have? We refuse to destroy our problems. We fight it either till we get tired or we fight it until they feel tame. And the problem is you can't tame that thing. It will eat you. Every addict that thinks that they finally got it tamed, that now they can go back to it, it will eat you. Every problem that you refuse to talk about, just because things have got calm, it will come back and open back up and it will eat you. That disparity between you and somebody else that you leave silent, it will eat you. Just because there's peace doesn't mean there's victory. And there's a big difference between actually hearing what God says and then actually doing what God says. And notice what he says. You have to fight. If you're tired of fighting with Syria, you have to completely destroy them. Then you won't have to fight it anymore. But we've always got excuses, and we've always got reasons, and we've always got a this and a that, or somebody didn't help me, or this, or... But he is very clear, you, you must strike them until you have destroyed them. And it's not about killing people. We know that, right? I'm not telling you to kill people. Got to get that on the tape just to make sure. I am not telling you to kill people because people are our problems. But the battle that you're facing... Are you ready for it to finally be dead? Now, some of you, you say yes, but are you willing to go and do what it takes? And some of you think yes, but you've kind of adopted the identity of a victim. And you have a history of disobedience to show for it. But I'm here to say even that's not an excuse. It doesn't matter how long you've been disobedient. Yes, there's consequences to disobedience. 
But it doesn't matter how long you've been disobedient. If you'll step up and obey, God will begin a new process with you and you can find victory. You think, hey, pastor, you don't understand. I've tried again and again and again. Hold on. You've got to strike the the Syrians at Aphek until you've destroyed them. Then he said, I want you to take those arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. And so he struck the ground how many times? Pastor, I've tried it again and again and again. And look at how Elisha responded. And the man of God was angry with him. Now, I've got to explain something to you. It doesn't let Elisha off the hook, but I get it. And it's the same reason that we're dealing with this morning. The number three was very important in that culture. To say something for the third time is like putting it in bold font. It means this is important and I really mean it. So he thought he was going the extra mile, going, striking three times. He said, what? You should have struck five or six times, and then you would have struck Syria until you destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. And the other translation makes it a little clear, and this is what he's going to say. Now you're going to fight them three times. You could have went once and destroyed them at Aphek, but now you're going to fight them three times. And that's why I say with our humanity, oh, pastor, I've done it again and again and again. I've tried again and again and again. And do you know what Elijah would say to you? You stop too soon. You should have struck Syria until you destroyed it. You see, you were thought you had the boldness. Oh, one, two, three. But Elijah wanted the problem broken, not just acted on. You know what I think Elijah wanted to see? I think he wanted to see Joash go the extra mile and finally be free, not just keep fighting a series of battles, thinking I've won this time and it regroups. But I had a little, it's the story of every addict to anything that we can get addicted to. I did so good for six months, for a year, for two years, and then it comes back. Oh, I I didn't know that problem in our family was still existing, but you never got the victory over it. And you know what God wants? Is He wants wants it broken. He doesn't just want this lame, oh, I tried again and again and again. He wanted to strike until the arrows broke. And that's the problem that we're facing. And it's not about anger. I'm not mad today. 
But I realize this in me, and I realize this in you, that many of us fight until we're tired. Many of us fight until the symptoms go away. Many of us fight until there's a perceived peace or we just say, I'm not going to talk about this anymore. Or we even sound spiritual. I'm done praying about this. I'm going to put it in the hands of the Lord. And you know what he'd say? You didn't strike three times. And you're going to fight it again and again and again. And if you thought that it was good enough, but you stopped way too soon. Did you have more strength? Well, of course. Now, did he tell him to strike five or six times? No, but it was a revealing part of what was in his heart, just like it's a revealing part of us. Why do we keep going back to those things? Even Proverbs tells us that this foolishness is like a dog going back to its vomit. (laughs) We know it's not good, but I threw it up and it looked pretty healthy. I'll eat it again. And if we're going to truly be free in whatever aspect of your life that you need freedom, it's not just addiction. It could be the bondages of your personality. It could be anything. It doesn't matter. Then we have to go beyond just the lame, oh, I did it. I tried it again and again and again. The tragedy is listen to the end of the story. Elisha died. And they buried him. You don't have me to to show you the way anymore. You can't come running to me because I'm truly not your source. God is. They buried Elijah, and here's the tragedy. And the raiding brands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of that year. I told you to defeat it. And since you didn't defeat it, the raiding bands are coming in the spring of this year. You had some time. But you didn't kill it. You didn't destroy it. You don't really have the victory. And you can excuse it away, and you can blame it away. But some of you are sitting here, and the first step for your victory is you've got to lay down your life and accept Jesus Christ. I mean, really accept Jesus Christ. Don't just come to church. Don't just read your Bible. You, anybody can do that. The devil knows the Word. But the biggest battle you've got to fight is who's in control of your life. And I love you enough that I'm going to lay it on the table this morning. And for some of you, your kids are most important in your life. For some of you, your stuff is the most important in your life. And you're going to continue to fight that battle. You're going to pass that on. And you'll talk about a curse to the second, third generation and teach your kids that they're the most important. And when they believe they're the most important and God's not, they're going to teach their kids that they're the most important. And that's going to be handed down and handed down. Or money's the most important. Or status is the most important. Or some form of religious piety where you've got to be ultra-religious and ultra-harsh that that's the form. And that's going to get passed on. And there's no freedom in that. The victory is in Christ alone. 
He can and will overcome whatever will allow him to, but he's also so powerful and good, he's not going to kick in your door and take something from you. You have to take up your bow. You have to fight your pride. You have to quit complaining and whining, and but my therapist said... Your therapist is a person. If you truly trust God, we have a God that can overcome death. If your therapist can do that, listen to him. But this is the problem of our day, church. It's not the sin. It's the weakness in us that harbors it. It's the weakness in us that decides it's been too long, it's been too hard, it's been too much. And you know, we've always been like this. And the raiding bands came in the spring of that year and it started again. So let me ask you, wouldn't you rather just defeat that thing now and be victorious? Or how many more times do you want to fight it? Because it costs you every time. Every battle, men died. Every battle, there were widows. Every battle, there was going to be orphans. Every battle. How many do you want? It goes right back to the heart of Pharaoh. He could have been free after the first plague, but no, he wanted another night and another night. And another night, I'm telling you what, I don't know how hard his heart was, but it was hard because if I had to sleep in a bed crawling with lice, I'm done. If I had to eat with frogs crawling over everything, I'm done. If I had to live with flies all around me all the time and the stench of decaying blood and dead cattle, I'm done. But nope, he needed another night with the frogs until he lost a child. And even then, then he hardened his heart and chased him. And he lost his own battle. What's it going to take for you to be free? Not some epic prayer, but a simple surrender to Jesus Christ. And just like Melissa was saying earlier, when we fill our hearts with, and the voids in our life with other things, those things make us weaker, not stronger. Because every addiction, every excuse that we've made, it's you filling in where God wanted to fill in and you saying, I, I don't want God in that spot, so I've got to put something in that spot. You can fill it with medication and you can fill it with friends and you can fill it with social media and you can fill it with drugs or alcohol or sex or status or promotions or whatever you fill it with, but all you're doing is striking the ground three times. Take the bow. Prepare yourself for what God wants to do in you. Because as soon as you take the bow, you're going to sense that his hands are on you to fight that fight. So when you do it your way, it's just you. What if we take up the bow that he calls us to?
We stop playing around. And you don't need to go home and start breaking sticks. Like I said, I just wanted to show you in the natural. Because God has broken things in my life and there's still stuff I'm working on. But you know what? As I get older, I'm getting real tired of the fight. If I can be pretty authentic this morning, when I get tired, it's easier to fight people. It's easier to fight world problems. It's easier to complain. It's easier to point fingers than to know that I have to look deep inside of me and see that there's still dark, that there's still shadow of disobedience, that there's still things in there that won't fully submit to God, even when I want to, just like the Apostle Paul. I end up doing the things I don't want to do, and I end up not doing what I know I'm supposed to do. And so no guilt this morning, whatever your problem may be, but maybe just a word to rally. Take up the bow. Because as soon as you obey, you're going to sense that the, the man of God, God himself, his hands are on you. But that means you've got some decisions to make. Who's going to run your life? Him or somebody else? Who's going to fix your problems? Him or somebody else? Who's going to repair your family? Him or somebody else? Who's going to pull that mess out of you where you, it's not that your body doesn't need that stuff anymore, but now you don't run to it every time something goes bad. Now you run to Him. Because we can all be addicted to something. You may not be running to drugs, but you run to Facebook, you run to Netflix, you run to a movie, you run to a book. We find a way to avoid the confrontation that God wants to have with us to break that thing down and kill it. And I would urge you this morning to take up the bow. Fight that one big battle in you instead of the various battles you're going to fight and hand over to your children. Imagine the change in this story where it could have been in Josh, Joash conquered Syria and his kingdom and his people were restored, but that's not the story. 